Um, so this morning, um, I am also up here, which is not normal. And so Chad is out this morning. He left to fly out this morning. So as we, as we kind of jump back in, we are still going to stay in the series that we've been in. So if you have been here with us, you probably know that we have been in this series called The Sacred Inversion. Um, we have been in Matthew chapter 5. So if you had any kind of guess, where do you think we're going to be this morning? That's right. You got it. Matthew chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be there. I want us to start this morning by kind of recapping or, or reminding ourselves of, of what we've already seen so far in these first few Beatitudes. I want us to do that because I truly believe that as we study the Beatitudes, really as we so study a good portion of the Sermon on the Mount as a whole, I think it builds on itself. Um, I don't think it is wise to take one piece and not understand it in light of the one before. So as we do that, I, I just want us to remind ourselves. Um, and if you weren't here, hopefully you get at least a small glimpse into all that has been taught and all that has been said. So if you would read with me here in Matthew chapter 5, I'm just going to start in verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble or the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want us to pray one more time before we dig in too far. God, I come to you this morning thankful for the opportunity to gather with our church body. Lord, I'm thankful for just numerous people in this room who, Lord, encourage me, um, spur me on to good things, call me out when necessary. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church and the people in it and how they love me well. Lord, I'm thankful that we have uh, the opportunity this morning to gather and to worship you. Lord, I pray that as, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would soften hearts. I pray that you would change hearts. Lord, I pray that we would see, Lord, that, that, we, that, that the works that we bring are not going to justify. Lord, the things that we do, this task list of things that we want to check the box on are not going to be what put us in right standing. God, reveal that to us this morning. Remind us of that. Lord, let us see how we can hunger and thirst for righteousness this morning. Lord, we love you. We praise you. As we jump in, so week one, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Chad taught us in week one, hey, we have to acknowledge the spiritual bankruptcy that we are in. He, he talked to us about how, hey, th th we, we, when we try to do anything other than believe that we are spiritually bankrupt, we've missed the point, and Jesus makes that clear. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Week two, blessed are those who mourn. We have to mourn that sin, the sin of ourselves and the sins of this world. That ought, to, that ought to bring us to a place of mourning and hurt. Blessed are the humble or the meek. We ought to respond in a way that we actually believe that we're sinful, 
And we, we act in a way, I, I, Greg, Greg had a great illustration last week, right? It's this reserved confidence in, in, in Jesus, not in ourselves. He said it's, it's, it's like the, the war horse, right? Who there's all kinds of things going around and he could trample anything and anyone at any given time. But all he actually cares about are the words of his master. Man, what a good picture. So this week, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want us to just think about Matthew as a whole. So Matthew, th- this gospel was written primarily to Jews. So what does that mean? Well, I, I think it means that like Matthew was trying to convince an audience of Jews that Jesus really was the Messiah. And he was trying to, 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 to work out for them the, the real truths of Scripture, not necessarily just the things, the ideologies that they had generated for themselves to say this is the important things. And so the entire Sermon on the Mount, like we have two and a half, three-ish chapters of things here in the Sermon on the Mount that are, that are taught or, 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 or recorded. And, and there's more recorded in Matthew than in all the other spots. So what does that mean? Well, it means that these sermons that Jesus preached were probably significant for the Jews of the day. That's that's probably why they were recorded here, right? So what I want us to do is we kind of just think through what's going on. Chad choose to call this the sacred inversion. Well, practically because what Jesus is going to tell the people here is going to be a flip upside down of what they set as important. Like to this point, Pharisees of the day had made it important for them to, to, to have high standing and be viewed um, in, a, in a positive light. They wanted everybody to know the things that they had checked off of their list. When we read, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Hunger and thirst. Those are not words that Jews or especially the Pharisees would have wanted to be associated with in any kind of way. If we're honest with ourselves, it's probably not words that we like to associate ourselves with, right? It's not my first thing to really want to have you say about me, he's hungry and thirsty. No, I like to eat, right? Because that indicates, number one, I'm hungry. Number two, I probably can't actually provide for myself. That's not the words that I like to really have as the descriptors of me. Let me tell you, that would have been even more so, or no, probably just as much so, for the Pharisees of the day. That poor in spirit would not have been something they desired. This was a flip upside down for what the, the Pharisees, the Jews as a whole, would have put as valuable, as important, as, as, as something that they would strive for. So as we, as we understand that, I hope that that puts into light like where we're at and how this is going to be counter to, to, to everything that they would have been holding on to and counting on. And Chad talked a lot about this the first week, but we, we have to understand that in order to, to be able to wrestle through this passage of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus used the words that he used intentionally. He used them to show that the kingdom of God is not what they expected it to be. Jesus used those words. He he stated clearly for them that their thoughts of righteousness coming from this checklist of things that they can do and and, and their moral goodness was not going to cut it. Jesus was communicating that hungering and thirsting implies that they are actually in need of righteousness that does not come from themselves. If I'm hungry and thirsty for something, I don't have it in and of myself. I'm in need of something outside of myself. 
Jesus is flipping upside down everything that they believe. So here's my question this morning for, for, for you, um, and I'm asking it of myself too. So I mean, are you worried about, on a regular basis, your good standing? Are you worried about what person X, Y, or Z thinks about your uprightness? I can tell you I find myself regularly worried about what my coworkers think about my standing before them. I'm worried about what family and friends think about how good of a dad I am or about how good of a husband I am or how hard I work or the things that I have or have not accomplished. It's something that eats at me. Maybe you're not there today, but you have been. Or maybe you're, you're falling into that. Like, I, I want us to just think about that. Is that what drives me to do what I do? Is it because I'm worried about what maybe another church member thinks? Do I answer questions in a way that indicate, hey, I've got the answer or I'm doing that right? Is that where we're at? I think for the Pharisees, I think for many of the Jews, that's exactly where they were. I want us to flip over to Romans chapter 3. We're going to shift gears a little bit, but... But ultimately, I think in order to answer this question or or in order to understand blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we need to understand, number one, what is righteousness? It's this quality or this state of being in right standing with God due to being morally upright, to being um, justifiable is one of the words that's used in a lot of definitions. And that, the, the word righteous actually does, it just, it just, almost demands good works. When you think of that word, that's what you think about, right? Romans chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the ones who have faith in Jesus. Man, righteousness is not something that we get to earn. Like th- this, this idea of being in a, in a state of, or in a right standing with God because of our actions, man, it's too late. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul makes it clear for us time and time again in Romans, but right here, like, you fall short of the glory of God. You are going to stand before a holy God. And if what you have to present is your righteous acts, they are as filthy rags as we read in Isaiah. And so I want us to understand that because until we can understand that concept that, hey, all of the checklists that I can come up with and do and things that I can pull out to prove to you that I'm in good standing or to prove to you that I've got all of my stuff together is not going to be enough. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Your right standing before God can only come through faith in Jesus. His perfect work. 
his perfect life, the things that he came and did, that is the righteousness that you're counting on. Because he did it. He lived the perfect life. He came, he, 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 he did it all. And then he died on the cross. And, and on the cross, he took on the weight of your punishment. He took on the wrath of God because you had sinned. And so what happens is, the beautiful picture here is, right? Christ takes on our sinful, broken, uh, the, the, the things that we deserved in the wrath of God, and then we get to take on his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. The righteousness that we seek, that we have, is not in and of ourselves. Paul makes it clear for us that our righteousness, our good standing, is not dependent on how well I have convinced you that I have my things together. It is on the finished work of Jesus. So how do we think now? Like, what do we do? How, 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 do, I, how do I respond? Well, first off, I want to continue here in Romans, right? Verse uh, 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works. No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say? Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. And we see that the boasting that we have cannot be in and of ourselves. John Stott says it this way. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. When we, when we back up and we read right there at the end of, or in verse 26, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, in order for God to maintain his righteousness, he actually has to act justly with our sin. If he does not act justly, he is not in right standing with us even. Right? Because we are sinful. We are broken. We are worthy of punishment. And so in order for God to actually remain righteous himself, he must punish that that is not. And so, so it, it's crazy. When we read verse 26, God presented him, Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that God, he, would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. This picture that we see of Jesus coming, living the perfect life, like we, we have to believe that his righteousness is actually what we are in need of. Chad has said it multiple times. The, the, these, 
these beatitudes build on themselves in order for me to actually hunger and thirst for righteousness, in order for me to actually hunger and thirst for righteousness that only Jesus brings, I have to be poor in spirit. I have to understand my brokenness. I have to mourn that sin. It has to actually matter that I am sinful, not just believe that I am, but also it matters. I have to be humble. I have to be meek. And then I have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me, let me, ask, you, let me ask you a question. When others think about you, when others think about me, am I known as someone who is always trying to convince others that I'm right, that I've got it together, that, 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 that I've accomplished this, that I've done that? I pray that Calvary, Jesus on the cross, changes that. People need to know what Jesus has done for you. So, so here's the deal. We're, we're going to flip to Psalms chapter 34. We're going another spot this morning. Imagine that. But, but I want us to just think about this because this is an interesting, this is an interesting verse. I, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Most of the time, I really love it when I can walk out of here and somebody gives me three things to go do this week so that I can check off the box of righteousness. Let me tell you, hunger and thirst is not something you can go do. It is a result of the state of being that you are in. So if I walk you out of here today and say, hey, go do X, Y, and Z, and you'll have hunger and thirst. No, not true. So, so what do I want to do today? Well, I, I want us to read Psalms 34. I, I, I think that David here, we can hear in his words that he is hungry and thirsting for righteousness. So I'm not here to give you a list of things to go do and accomplish because I think that would be completely contrary to the truth of the gospel. If all I had for you this morning in understanding your righteousness or your lack of righteousness was to give you a task list, then everything I've said at this point does not make sense. But read with me what David uh, says here in Psalms 34. We're going to start in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name. Sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Here's the deal. When we have trusted in Jesus for our righteousness, for our right standing, for our moral uprightness, if you will, we sound like David here. Because... Here's the deal. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will praise. Uh, his praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. The overflow of my heart when I'm in a state where I know that I'm dependent on Christ's righteousness is that I make much of Jesus. I'm not worried about proving to you that I've got my stuff together. Because I'm, number one, aware that I don't. 
And number two, I'm aware that what you really need is to understand that you need Christ's righteousness as well. You don't need to know that I've got this right. That I'm parenting my kids well. Or that I'm doing right by my wife. My coworkers don't actually need to know that I'm going to work hard just to, to, to work my way up. No, what they need to know is that I'm in desperate need of Jesus. And that He is my hope. And so those that are hungering and thirsting for Jesus... They talk like this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's the overflow of David's heart because he's hungry and thirsting for God. He wants a relationship with God knowing that he is not deserving in and of himself. Man, what do we see? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Read verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. When I've shifted from depending on my moral uprightness and my good works and my things that I bring to the table and I've begun to trust in Jesus to be my righteousness, I have to trust him with everything. I have to say that, hey, not only is my moral uprightness dependent on whether Jesus was good, right, just, righteous, I also have to believe what he says, right? And, and so what we get to see here is, if I begin believing that, then, then, then what, what I know is, he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. My fears become irrelevant because I know of the greater good. The things of this world that I'm scared of, that make me fearful, it pales in comparison to the goodness of Jesus. And so it's not that, that all of my, it's not that all of the circumstances around me change right here and today. No, that's not the case. But my fears are answered because guess what? I'm hoping in Jesus and the finished work on the cross. <laughs> then what, right? Oh man. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. This is another thing that I can't tell you to walk out the door and be radiant with joy. No, that's a quality of someone who is dependent on Jesus. You can't go be radiant with joy. No, that's an overflow of your heart already. That is not something that you can walk out of here and go do. That is a result of you depending on Jesus for your righteousness. You now have joy. You now have hope because of what he did. Their faces will never be ashamed. I can't tell you to walk out of here and not be ashamed. You actually have to believe that Jesus paid for those sins. The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Verses 8 through 10. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and God is so gracious and gives us Jesus... 
you taste and see that it's good. That, that hope that you get, that satisfaction and fulfillment in being in right standing with God, that's literally what you were made for. So when you get to taste and see that right standing with a holy God who you were made literally to bring glory to, that is what satisfies and fulfills. I get to taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You are his holy ones. Fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Look, here's the deal. I, I, we, we, I'm not going to sit here and give us a, a list of things that we've got to go accomplish or things that we've got to go do. Again, that would be counter to what I believe this passage and everyone in Scripture tells us. But here's what I will say. If I believe in Jesus as my righteousness, and I've trusted that, that, that he is perfect, he's without blemish, he's without sin, then I believe that his words are true. Therefore, what do I do? Well, I work really hard at being a good father. I work really hard at being a good husband. I work really hard at work. But it's not because I'm trying to prove to you that I'm worthy. No, it's because I believe Jesus when he said to do those things. Like, I'm trusting in his righteousness and his ability to fulfill and do and accomplish those things. But when I actually believe what he says, I do them. I know that I will be blessed when I work at those things. When I work at looking more and more like Jesus. I trust him. I believe him and I respond with good works. Again, not to prove my worth. I know Romans tells us time and time again. that we, The gospels tell us time and time again. It is not based on my good works that I would be saved. No, it is based on Jesus' work on the cross. So here's the deal. When we go back and we read Matthew chapter 5 and we see him say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the humble, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we know that those characteristics are ones that, that indicate a need for something outside of themselves. And we know that Jesus is the only thing that satisfies those things. That allows us the freedom to work at, to work out our salvation as, as we read in some of the epistles. So, because I believe in Jesus. I, I'm, I'm not doing it to, to earn my way. No, I'm doing it in response to believing that he's good and knowing that it's worth it. So here's what I want to do. I, I, I want to just stop. Believer in the room. If you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you, if you believe in him to truly be your righteousness, here's my question. When people think of you, do they think of you as someone who is always telling them about how you've made it or how you've gotten this done or how right you are? Like is, that, is that the conversation that we're about? If so, I pray that you would, you would, I pray that the Lord would soften your heart. I pray that you would recognize that, hey, number one, stop telling yourself that your righteousness is dependent 
on what you've accomplished or not. And number two, stop telling others to do the same. Because when those are the things that you communicate out to other believers or even non-believers, what you're saying is that's actually what your salvation is dependent on. And so for me to communicate that way is not just damaging to me. It's not just interrupting of the relationship that I've got with God. It also preaches a gospel that's not true to others. I pray that we would be humble. We would be ready to acknowledge sin in our life. I pray that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness, ready to hear and understand how we're broken, not for the sake of, of, of being in pity, not for the sake of, you know, running around pitiful, like Greg talked about last week. That, that's just as much of a proud problem as acting arrogantly is. No, no, no. We do it because we're hungry and thirsty to be more like Jesus because we believe that's best. Some of you in the room may not be a believer. You may not actually think that, hey, Jesus is the only way to salvation. If you're there this morning, number one, I, I, I hope that the Lord would open your eyes. I hope that you would see that this lack of hope, this lack of peace that you have about work, about family, about friends, maybe about being here, Man, that your greatest efforts have not satisfied. You know deep down that they're not enough. So, so if you're an unbeliever in the room, I pray that you would read Romans. I pray that you would see how Paul tells us time and time again that you are not going to earn your way to anything eternal. I pray that you would repent and believe in Jesus as the only thing that brings salvation. So here's the deal. I'm going to be over on the right side of the room. I guess my right, your left. Um, I'm going to be over there. I, I'm, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing some more songs of, of, of worship. As we do, if you want to talk, I would love to talk to you. I'll be honest with you. If you're, if you're an unbeliever, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some more Romans to you. If you're a believer, I'm probably going to read some more Romans to you. If you just want to talk, I'm probably going to read some more Romans to you. Because here's the deal. Any, anything that I've said this morning, I hope it falls away. God's word does not return void. And so, as we sing songs, I pray that we would sing in light of knowing that Jesus is good. I pray that we would sing songs hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that only Jesus brings. I pray that we would shout out like David did. I, I pray... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. God, we come to you. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Lord, I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful that... I'm thankful that even my best attempts at earning or living up to or keeping things together aren't enough. Lord, because if it was, eternity with Jesus would not be that big of a deal. But God, you are a holy God. And I'm in desperate to save me. Lord, I pray that people in the room would understand that truth, that they would trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would repent and believe. God, let us 
lift up songs of, of praise to you now as we continue and let us go out of here this week doing the same. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.